This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game, while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of Harvesting Nature. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend. And uh, today we have, uh, I think, pretty fun episode in, in store for everybody. We got a, a special guest who I'll introduce in, in just a minute. And then uh, we got uh, three members of the Harvesting Nature crew here, um, not here in person, but here virtually. And... Um, We'll, we'll give them a chance to give any updates they have and so you'll know who's who's who amongst them but um yeah excited to chat uh some military themed uh recipes and some some uh military themed initiatives we'll say so uh first off um i'll i will discuss any news that i have and kind of on my front uh not not really much. Kind of taking a a little bit of a breather mid season, uh, looking to get back at it again in December. So uh, that's pretty much it. But Will, what updates you have? I think last time I was on the podcast, we were talking about tarpon. Yep, tarpon. And uh, Justin and I have been successful with that endeavor. Caught a few on the fly the other day, trying to hone in our skills. Uh, other than that, kind of been slow. Looking forward, Justin and I drew tags for Central Florida deer, mm-hmm. so we're looking forward awesome. to going up there and then uh, maybe do some Seminole hunting next week. Sem- Seminole deer, Semin- yes. white-tailed deer. You gotta be White-tail, careful. Seminole, Seminole hunting. deer hunting. <laughs> yeah, of course. I don't think the Seminoles would appreciate if we were hunting them. <laughs> Seminole deer hunting in uh, Southern Florida here next week. So that's kind of what's up on the bracket for me. Yep. 
so coming on to Thanksgiving for us. Uh, so that should be good, good hunting time. So Colin, you got any updates, man? It's been a little while. Yeah, it has, uh, just a lot of duck hunting. Geese starts up again, uh, this Saturday, but, uh, duck's been going on for a couple weeks now. Uh, one of my chiefs and I, he, uh, he and I went out last weekend. I think it was, oh no, it was on veterans day actually. Uh, and we each got a pintail, which the limits one. So, I mean, I guess you could say we limited it out, but, uh, yeah, we got a pretty good spot and looking to do that again this weekend, but really it's just waterfowl from here on out. Nice. Is there a late season, late season elk or deer up there? No. So all the seasons here are pretty early. Um, deer ended in the beginning of November. And then I think the second season of elk in some places is going on right now, uh, or that, or just ended. Uh, but everything else is pretty early. Not, it's not like Pennsylvania or anything where their deer season is just getting started. So Ben was mentioning something in January. Um, I think another season, a late season. So I got to look into it. There's a couple uh, like antlerless damage permits for private land where uh, elk come on, elk herds will come on and just like ruin people's crops. And uh, that's kind of, that's private only, it's permit only and everything like that. You got to apply for it. And the landowner has to apply for it. Um, but yeah, I, I got to look into some other opportunities. I don't think there are very many left that are still on the table for purchase. I think you would have had to get them back in like July or June. Nice. Yeah. All right. And, uh, Corey, I saved you for last cause I know you're itching cause you got big news. Yeah. I got a buck and archery, um, Friday the 13th. So lucky Friday the 13th. I was preparing for an all-day sit, so I had a bunch of stuff with me. And I was trying to get all set up in the tree stand. And as I'm standing there on the platform getting all set up, I see a tree shake. And I go, that, that, that's not a squirrel. And uh, this buck comes walking in and came right in. It was less than 20 yards, and I, I put him down. So it, he's a big uh, seven-point. Real, real big brow tines, and uh, I think his inside spread was like 16 and a half. So, one of my better bucks, and it's been, I think 2003 was the last time I got an archery buck. So, I've I uh, had a dry spell with the bow for bucks anyway. So it was good to put that behind me. Nice, yeah, that's pretty rad. Um, have you cooked any yet? We had the uh, interloin tonight for dinner, and uh, oh, nice! Just put it on, you know, all, uh, olive oil, some I think Traeger seasoning, and put it on the pellet grill, and uh, it was good. It's always good that way. Sweet. Well, congrats on Thank that. Um, I think so. The the last thing. Uh, I don't have any new merch to plug on the website, but we're doing the hats for reviews. Uh, I didn't get any, any new reviews last week, but I encourage everybody, uh, if, if you don't know the, the program yet, if, uh, if you write in, do review, uh, leave a written review and it gets selected, we will read it on the air and send you a free hat. Uh, you pick one off the website. So there's that going for us, which is a cool thing. Um, well, I'll introduce our guest now. So uh, he's a veteran, EMT, firefighter, and outdoorsman. And you may have seen some of his writing over on the Meteor website. 
And uh, also, he's currently leading Backcountry Hunter and Angler's Armed Forces Initiative. Uh, welcome to the show, Morgan Mason. Awesome. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, man. We're happy to have you. So, uh, I guess first off, you kind of you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, go a little more in depth on on your background and kind of what you're you're involved in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, as you mentioned, I've got a history uh, after I got out of the uh, the reserves after I deployed over to Iraq, um, came back and got in. Another thing is I was in the outdoor industry for about 12, 15 years, somewhere in that range, um, doing a lot of stuff out in Colorado. And then transferred into fire and EMS. Um, and then in the time frame was also doing some writing photography on the side, just continuing that passion, had a couple injuries back to back. And I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to go full force into writing and photography and just go for it. So um, went for that, ended up uh, doing some good work, got hired on by Gear Junkie for their hunt and fish uh, channel that they've got. Um, and then moved up to Bozeman montana to uh to get in and just start networking up there and you know just also live in montana because it's a hell of a place to be <laughs> um and ended up uh came up came up with the idea that i wanted to start this nonprofit that was directly engaging with vets hunting and fishing in the outdoors and had this very specific mindset of what i wanted to do with it um and Pitched it a couple times, didn't take hold, and it stayed a pretty strong passion for me. And then I get I got back from a spearfishing trip down to Costa Rica, and all of a sudden I see that backcountry hunters and anglers have this job posting for Armed Forces Initiative Coordinator, and I was just like, oh shit, that's exactly what I wanted to do with this nonprofit idea. Like instead of recreating the wheel, I can just attach myself to this completely up and running nonprofit that's doing great work and do this work that I'm like passionate about. And so I just went full force to the interview process and campaigned hard for it and got it. And with that, since June 1st, I've been running the armed forces program for backcountry hunters and anglers. And that's, uh, it's been incredible. It's, it's been very trying starting to like uh, build a new thing up in like the middle of the, uh, the COVID era where like, oh, man, yeah. like kind of our bread and butter is like that face-to-face -face engagement with folks. And just like, that's not happening. So we're finding new ways to do it and, uh, still finding ways to engage and connect with people and build this up. And we've got it like set on three different pillars, uh, for the program and that's active duty programming, which is building a national network of military installation clubs modeled somewhat closely to the collegiate program that BHA has. And so our idea is we're going to build leadership at these different installations. And as people PCS to location to location along their way, they'll fall right into a group of peers and being able to understand the learning process and lower the barrier of entry to hunt and fish on different installations across North America. Uh, that's like a, a huge thing that I've heard over and over again is like people just don't know all the rules and the regulations and they'd rather hang out the barracks and drink bangs or rippets and play video games all weekend rather than like, <laughs> <laughs> get like a thousand dollar ticket from a game board. So hopefully we're, uh, we're going to reverse some of that and make it a little bit easier for folks to get out and hunt and fish. Um, on the veteran side of things, which is our second pillar we're engaging in skill camps and work projects with different agencies and aligning well with the state chapters that BHA has, um, as well as the regional chapters, and then also HQ up where I'm at. Um, and so that's going to look at different initiatives within the state 
seeing where veterans can support uh, different work projects. And then on the other side of things are the skill camps. Um, and so I just ran our first one, our pilot project for that. We were I was going to ask for, about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just get to it. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we were out in Eastern Montana and we had a total of 17 vets come out and that included mentees, mentors, support, media, um, as well as some photographers. And so 17 vets came out with one videographer out there was civilian, but we ended up running camp for about four days. We shot 18 deer in this location. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, and we didn't even put a dent in like in the area. There's so many deer there. Like each individual could get a total of, I think five V tags for that area. Um, so I brought my Traeger out. We were able to like plug it into the generator. We threw a couple deer in there, like all chopped up and uh, cooked some over the campfire, ate well. Um, and we had evening conversations about engaging as veterans. And so like the dual skill acquisition part of this is like the tactile was hunting in the Eastern Montana landscape. That's everything about deer hunting out there. Mm -hmm. And then the evenings were more of the cerebral aspect. And that was understanding public lands 101, like going all the way back to the constitution and how federal lands were created, how they're managed, bringing that down to like the scope of Montana. What does it look like there? Um, and then that's sort of like that foundational basis of knowledge that we're trying to give to everybody and like try to replicate that through all camps moving forward. Um, from there, the next night we talked about understanding bills and the procedure of how a bill gets into the house, how it's introduced, um, goes through the House, the Senate, up to the president's desk, how we as BHA engage in that process, um, and then specifically talked about the Accelerating Veterans Recovery Outdoor Act, which just passed the House, just went through the Senate. We actually learned while we were at camp, um, we had a couple bars up there of service, and so we found out while we were at camp that uh, Avroa had passed through the Senate, and now it's going to the president's desk. And then the last aspect... Um, was or the last night there we talked about how we as veterans can like utilize our voice and find our voice um in conservation and so how can we speak up and really like talk about how we've gone and fought for it and how we want to continue like fought for america and fought for like our beliefs and our way of life and how we can continue that mission of fighting for what we believe in through conservation um and so that leads right into the third pillar so we've got active duty that pillar, the veteran pillar, and then the third one is legislation. And that's exactly that. It's it's understanding how we can affect local change as well as national change for like BHA's core mission of public lands and waters as well as the ethical chase of wildlife. So those are the three components of the BHA Armed Forces program that I'm currently engaged in. And uh, it's been a hell of a ride so far, and I'm only about six months in. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I could imagine you, you definitely, as you mentioned, been presented with some some challenges given COVID, and knowing too, like part of it being the the active duty outreach that that you've been doing. And I know you and I had conversations about that as well uh, prior to it, um, just down here for like Key West. But the military bases sort of being a little more strict than even the civilian world on on gatherings, on interactions and, and stuff like that. So I, yeah. I can imagine it's presented some interesting challenges for sure. You know, the funny thing is, is that on the active duty side, it's actually made it easier because the restrictions like keep you in base, keep you like at least like very close to base. Mm -hmm. And so for the efforts that we've had built up, like people are looking for things to do 
because there's not much, you know, there's not a whole lot to do on a military installation for the most part. And so if we can build up these things where we can stay within like the COVID regulations, as far as like number of attendees and spacing and et cetera, et cetera, like we've actually been pretty successful on Fort Bragg. Uh, and so I, I guess we'll take a step back. And so our four pilot installation projects that we have going on for military installation clubs is Fort Bragg was our first one. And then we did Camp Lejeune and Camp uh, Pendleton for U.S. Marine Corps uh, commands east and west. And so we're hoping that we can get those two dialed in and then all other Marine Corps installations will fall in place. Um, and then we've got Fort Wainwright up in Alaska because Alaska is a frontier state and everybody dreams about going up there. And just like the amount of things you can do there is mm -hmm. incredible. Yeah. So, so going back, uh, we've had some really good opportunities for engagement. So we've thrown like a traps uh, or a skeet competition on Fort Bragg. We got a bunch of new members there. We've done great work with the public lands pack out. I think our Fort Bragg club pulled out, how much was it? I think it was like 168 or 268 bags of trash. It was just like an incredible amount. Wow. They, uh, nice. Yeah. They got like second best in the nation for all of BHA for that. Um, but then Camp Pendleton also threw a great pint night where they maintained social distancing. They went to an outdoor uh, uh, brewery. I think it was Lost Pines. And they had a great turnout there. And we're just kind of continuing to build steam where we can. And, you know, like underneath this whole deal with, with COVID. And so I'm, I'm hoping that whenever, God forbid, this whole COVID thing blows over, that we'll have the pump primed and like we'll really blow the lid off of this as soon as we can really start going out there and getting active with what BHA does well. And that's that face-to-face -face sort of like grassroots engagement. I'm, I'm excited to see where it's going to go. Um, I, I've been following pretty closely uh, the evolution of, of things since it's like the initial announcement and, and all that. And uh, I was really excited to see it happen to begin with because I, I, Colin and I have had a lot of conversations about it. And I think, Colin, yeah. you dealt a lot with it with this year with sort of moving, moving to Oregon uh, from the Keys and trying to like wrap your head around that a, a new world. And so... Yeah. And uh, I mean, if I can just add on to that, Justin, it was like uh, I heard rumors about people that I worked with at my new unit who hunted and everything, but it wasn't like a solid group. Um, but luckily the folks that I work with ended up kind of figuring out at least duck and goose hunting on our own. But, uh, yeah, I, it would have been awesome to have like something like a BHA armed forces initiative at our own base. I mean, it's a small base, but it would have been awesome to have them here and like come right into it and have people show me the ropes and maybe these are the units you need to apply for, you know, this is the kind of gear you need. This is how much orange you need, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's cool with the the skills camp you mentioned, um, just sort of like laying a good foundation and you kind of creating sort of veteran ambassadors to really be well-educated, you know, both on the, the skills side, but also like the knowledge side too. And I think that sets up well. Uh, so. Yeah, it's good to know the historical context of what we're looking at and what we're trying to engage with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a good a good government class refresher too, right? <laughs> for a lot of us. <laughs> for those who are like throwing like footballs and whatnot in class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, when, when you said you were going through like the Constitution, like how the bill becomes a law, isn't it like Schoolhouse Rock? I had like little cartoons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we just brought out a projector and played that against a tree. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Um, 
So as far as uh, is about your yourself, are you? I guess your your hunting and angling background, and as far as uh, what you're up to this season outside of work, if if anything at all. I know work sounds pretty heavy. So <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been a bit like this has probably been one of the least amount of trips I've taken in a season. Uh, with that being said, I've had more success this season. Um, started off with archery elk and I was able to shoot my first bull here in Montana this year. Um, it was kind of funny. I went out and helped a rancher and usually the story ends up that like I got access to a private piece of property and like had a pretty easy hunt and killed the bull. But the rancher ended up showing me a piece of public that doesn't get hunted a whole lot. And he was just like, just go up on this ridge and make some elk sounds and you'll find elk. And <laughs> I went up on the ridge and I made elk sounds and I ended up shooting a bull. So I was like, all right, that works. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, uh, the season started off pretty well for me. Um, I've got two dogs right now that I'm definitely uh, looking forward to like really getting after some upland hunting with. Um, I just got my one dog, my uh, Griff Pinion back from the trainer a little while ago. Um, he kind of finished up his sort of like two-year-old training. And then I just got a new drawbar. Um, and I basically, I, I sent him down to my trainer while I was engaging in this work. I was like, I'm not going to have time to like really dig in and train this dog and like give it, like I paid a lot of money, like it's great lines. There's a ton of potential. I'm not going to be able to like really pull out as much as I can in that first like six to eight months. So I sent him down to the trainer and I've just been grinding hard. I'm actually getting ready to pick him up on Saturday. And so pretty much from here till the end of hunting season, I'm going to focus on getting a big muley buck and chasing as many birds as I possibly can with these mongrels. Nice. 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 Yeah. Um, when you do upland, what, what are you primarily targeting up there? Um, for the most part, we've gone down to Idaho quite a bit and chase some truckers over there. Um, that's just like an ass kicking grind walking up and down the mountains and like through shale chasing those birds. Um, and I enjoy that quite a bit, sort of a masochist when it comes to bird hunting. Um, but we're going to go out to Eastern Montana as well. I haven't shot any sharp tail out here. And so I want to get into some of those. We saw a ton of them where we were doing our deer camp. So hopefully get after some more of those. As well as chase some uh, ringnecks out in eastern Montana, um, some huns, and yeah, probably some uh, some chucker out there as well. So nice. Well, that's that's the uh, the perfect segue because I got a like I said, I have a couple of recipes I want to talk about, and I guess the first one we can sort of uh, chat about. Have you guys ever heard of uh, the Aberdeen Canteen pheasant sandwiches? So. Um, I'm going to let Corey tell a little bit more of the story, but I'll, I'll just mention uh, kind of a highlight. So this is like World War II, um, I guess, military cultural food uh, for some of the Army soldiers, I guess maybe Marines and sailors too as they were traveling across the country. But uh, Corey, you want to give us like a kind of a, a high level and then we could talk a little bit more yeah so I, you know doing some research for this episode i was i wanted to find military inspired you know wild game recipes and there's there's not a whole lot out there you know that's a pretty specific google search but i did find uh, an article by lynn burkhead that mentioned the aberdeen canteen and the uh south dakota state 
Historical Society uh, did a full story on it. The Aberdeen Canteen was was one of the stations on the way to where the soldiers or Marines or sailors or were leaving the fight, and um, they stopped there. They had like 15 minutes um, to eat. You know, obviously South Dakota's pretty well known for their pheasant hunting, and hunters started bringing in. Uh, pheasants as you know to donate to make sandwiches or to make you know meals for the for the soldiers and the pheasant sandwich that was like the best way to stretch out that that meat to feed as many as possible and uh, it's a pretty simple recipe and i actually cooked it the other day and it, it it's good while, while you're pulling it up, I'll give kind of a, I'll, I'll dive a little deeper on a couple of the details. So uh, it started off as like, um, it was like volunteers from like 40 different communities around uh, Aberdeen, South Dakota. And it was also a combination of like USO funds and, and a bunch of other things and USO volunteers, which, you know, for our military listeners and veteran listeners, like, you, you know, the significance of USO as far as the part it plays in the the life of military members so having that sort of their foundation means a lot these volunteers uh ran this sort of they called it like a canteen it was basically like a cafe attached to the railroad depot and uh like Corey said as the train would come in and stop uh if it was either traveling east or west to take uh sailors and soldiers to the east coast to go fight in europe or take them to the west coast to go fight uh you know, in Asia, either way, they would stop there for like a 15 minute break. And, you know, picture like a young guy never left home before. And, you know, you're cold, hungry, got done with training, you're shipping off to go, you know, go to an even more foreign place. And then all of a sudden the train stops and you get out and it's sort of like, uh, people just start handing you food. And, uh, these sort of, and to those that have, I mean, I won't say ever been in that situation, but to like get a free meal, everybody's, if you've gotten a free meal in life, you realize like, man, it's such a blessing at the moment when you need it. And, uh, I think for this instant, and I'll let Corey describe the sandwich a little better since he made it. But, uh, I, I was pretty impressed with just the whole thought of it. They, I think said in the course of the three or four years that it ran, they served 586,000 service members. Uh, and they said they did it on an operating budget of like $500 a month. Now, I wonder in that how many soldiers or airmen or whatever, like crack their tooth on a BB. So, Corey, tell us uh, what's in this this fabled right. sandwich. Oh, what, well, hold on one more thing. So it became so popular. It's like a cultural icon. Like they put it on uh, like recruiting posters. You got a picture of it pulled up there. Um, they said even like, uh, I think it was Patton came through and had a, a sandwich like at this canteen as well, like as they were traveling through, like, so for the, the military member of the time, like this is a pretty iconic thing, the Aberdeen canteen pheasant sandwiches. But I'll let Corey tell us a little bit more that about what's in it. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty simple recipe. It's just uh cooked pheasants that it's chopped finely chopped um so we i think the way we did it we roasted a couple pheasants and we ate them one way and then like the leftovers i just picked picked the bones and chopped up and then uh hard-boiled eggs grated carrots finely chopped onions 
finely chopped celery, sweet pickle relish, salt and pepper, and mayonnaise or salad dressing. I think we used Miracle Whip and blend it all together. And it was good. Hit the spot. So it's, so it's almost like kind of like a chicken salad sandwich is what I'm yep, picturing. Yep, that's exactly. exactly. I think the, the uh, hard-boiled eggs take it to the next level. How, how so? Because, you know, I... <laughs> I, I uh, you know, I've made pheasant sandwiches before, but like, you know, you just put some seasoning, pheasants and, you know, mayonnaise in there and and stuff. But like the, the hard boiled eggs, you know, give the extra texture and, you know, that the extra flavor in there. So. All right. I, I can get down with it. I'm going to have to try it for sure. Uh, it sounds... Go over there and like get one of those. Is that still a thing? I don't know. I wonder. That would be a good... Uh... That's a good homework piece, I think, for like us. It's in some local diner, you know. Yeah. With the poster up on the wall and just get your pheasant sandwich. Sounds like it would be something like the what South Dakota like historical society would like definitely want to promote. Be like, check out this home. Because I, I don't think I mean I've never heard of Aberdeen, South Dakota or yeah, South Dakota before. I've been up that way a couple times, but I don't think I've ever been through there. I mean, I don't know how big a town it is either. So but we may have to have to quest out for it. Anyway, homework piece. We'll figure that one out. Um, but all around, I think cool, cool recipe, cool thought. Um, so another another good one, good recipe that sort of uh, I think is a little bit more modern. So when I was doing the research on it, actually, Corey, you you uh, you cited this one too. Do you want to give us the backstory on it on the the, the venison taco rice. Well, you know, obviously I wasn't in the military, so I don't have really any background with this recipe. But uh, my brother-in-law, um, my wife's brother, uh, he was a major in the Marine Corps. And he's he's done several tours. And so I, I, I texted him. I asked him if he had any, any recipes that he liked that, you know, that, that were military-inspired. And he sent me a link... Oh, what's that? The Warrior Soul, um, and Chris Al- Chris mm-hmm. Albert of the Warrior Soul. It was the Okinawa taco rice and cheese, and um, he said he, my brother in law Kevin, he said that every base that he was on served that. It was it was pretty consistent wherever he was at. So, so I thought we better better include that one on there, and and uh, I'm glad you had a chance to make it. Cause it looked really good. Yeah. I was actually, um, I was actually really impressed, uh, with the way it came out, uh, as was my, my daughter. She's my biggest taste test, eight year old. Uh, so she went through it, but, um, essentially it goes back to, uh, to Okinawa. So in Japan and outside, uh, one of the Marine Corps camps there, they had a restaurant owner say like, Hey, we've got all these Marines who are coming back from Liberty late at night and uh, passing through the restaurants. What's something quick, easy and inexpensive that they would be comfortable sort of consuming regularly. And, uh, he invented, he basically took like the thought of the American taco. So literally ground meat, taco seasoning, lettuce, cheese, and uh, put it over rice and just called it taco rice. And it became 
really popular. Actually, when we published the recipe, I had several uh, several uh, veterans reach out and were like, "Oh yeah, I remember eating lots of uh, lots of taco rice." Yeah, so, so what, so what you're saying is that a whole bunch of drunk sailors and marines wanted to eat tacos when they were coming back from Liberty. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. So. This this guy, uh, the guy who created it, he essentially put it in like two of his restaurants, which were just right by the base gate, like coming in. And uh, so it took off, obviously, with, with the sailors and marines, but it it is now like an Okinawan staple. Uh, oh. It served, I was reading people serve it at like family meals, like family gatherings and stuff like that. And it, it, it's very, it's good, but it's just like comfort. It's definitely comfort food. Um, if you go check out the recipe, uh, the only thing I sort of did different, I put salsa in, in the meat when I was cooking it just because, uh, I used ground venison and it was a little drier and I put a little stock in there too, uh, just to give it a little more texture, but, um, your basic taco seasonings and, uh, just rice. I even used like leftover rice from Chinese food the night before. So worked perfect. I don't know anybody who served or hasn't served that wouldn't eat tacos when they got drunk. Like, yeah, just, I mean, <laughs> simplicity, <laughs> right? <laughs> my favorite, my favorite last word is like, "You had me a taco." <laughs> so, that's why um, Taco Bell is slammed at every college town at like three in the morning. That's it. So that's that's our next piece. We're gonna we're gonna popularize the taco taco rice bowl. It's essentially like a taco bowl. Late night taco truck, but it's just rice bowls. <laughs> so, um, when you're too drunk, you need a bowl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it all falls out the back end, and then you're just there, drunk at two thirty in the morning, upset because night for a spoon. <laughs> yeah, a bowl's perfect. Perfect solution. Well, you don't get pissed when you drop it all over your shoe. You know, yeah, exactly. we've all been there. Man, so uh, the last one I really want to kind of talk about is just the uh, it's it's the famed SOS or, or shit on a shingle, and uh, this this uh, you can find this recipe with venison over on the meat eater website uh, that I did. Oh gosh, it was back probably like four or five months ago, but it's a uh, I think it's classic. Like every chow hall, every galley, every ship that I've ever passed through or been on, I have served some form of of shit on a shingle. And uh, I think we've even talked about it on here before, if I'm not correct, but, uh, what is it? A couple times, I think. Yeah. It keeps like popping back up again, but, um, (laughs) it's, uh, it's one of those, like, like the taco rice. It's just a good old comfort breakfast food. It's cheap. It's inexpensive. It's ground meats, white gravy on top of, uh, some toast. That's essentially it. But, um, I first heard it, so uh, when I went to Officer Cannon School, we sailed on on the Mighty Cutter Eagle, and uh, I was working in the galley as part of my duties for the day, and uh, one of the captains came up and asked for it, and I was like, I had no idea what they were talking about, and even as someone who had worked in kitchens before going in the Coast Guard, I was like, I don't know what shit on a shingle is, but it doesn't <laughs> sound very good, <laughs> and uh I was quickly educated and then fell in love with it and then have since made my own version, which you can, you can see, uh, I do spice up the gravy a little bit with some other spices, sage and, 
and different seasonings and stuff. But man, if you make a basic white gravy with some ground meat, like you're you're pretty much there. It's the poor man's biscuits and gravy. That's it. Yeah. Or or the lazy man's if you don't <laughs> yeah. feel like making yeah. biscuits. <laughs> Both apply to the military. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of a dangerous thing to order if you don't know if the chef knows the recipe or not. You know. Yeah. Be surprised about <laughs> you what you could get. <laughs> Morgan, do you have any any recipes that that come to mind in in the conversations here that uh either wild game or non wild game applicable that would uh you know the one thing I was thinking about that when I was over at Meteor I thought it'd be cool is doing some like MRE uh, renditions, doing some like Baghdad chili or <laughs> something like that would be would be pretty cool to do some like. Some sort of rendition of all those like MRE meals that we all so, like fell so much in love with, um, or at least, or at least I didn't uh, when I was over there. Depends <laughs> what you get. Do you get any of the uh, like the breakfast ones? Yeah, not so good. But the chili, yeah, powder, you know, oh, you can never go wrong. If you got jalapeno cheese, you're king. Oh man, <laughs> that's the best. It's a great bartering tool. Skittles and jalapeno. <laughs> yeah. <cheese. laughs> yeah. I've seen a lot of people recently. Uh, I saw some on Instagram the other day. It was like the Chad Mendez. He made an elk one. Uh, I know Daniel Pruitt makes her own like wild game freeze dried foods. Um, mm. I think yeah, it'd be a great idea to come up with some kind of MRE style wild game you know, mixture where it's not maybe not just one packet like a lot of the freeze dried food has, but it has different you know things you open up. You can open up the little biscuit, open up the cheese, open up the main course. Chicken patties, everybody's favorite, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Had the syrup already in it? No, I think it was disgusting. (laughs) Um, yeah, that's I I like that idea. That's pretty. I think it'd be cool to do. Kind of play play on both both the MRE and sort of like the backpacking food too. But Mm -hmm. uh, it definitely uh, hit home for a lot of people. I think. Yeah, I do want to talk a little bit about the to switch gears real quick to talk about the Accelerating Veterans Recovery Outdoors Act. You mentioned it earlier, Morgan, and and uh, I wanted to go a little bit more in depth since, like you mentioned, it did pass. And uh, if you could give us sort of some insight as far as is what it does and and how that benefits the uh, the veterans around the country. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's passed through the Senate and it's still waiting to get up to the president's desk for signature and enacted in the law. And so we're still still pushing on that. It's it's not over the finish line yet, uh, but it's definitely our number one legislative effort within BHA's armed forces arena. And so the idea it is, or what this bill is, is it requires the secretary of the VA to create a task force to further study how utilizing federal public lands for the mental health and well-being of veterans through like outdoor recreation. And that's all it is. It's basically mandating that the secretary, the VA has to put together a task force. And this is going to include VA, the department of the interior uh, among a different bunch of different offices um, to create this task force for a one year period to study this and come up with solutions for it. And then at that point in time, It can either go away, it can die off, um, or we can continue to push on it and we can ask for these solutions to be implemented. Um, And we're trying to get on the forefront of that so we can start to offer like what we've experienced and offer Mm -hmm. our solution, how we think this should go 
um, to hopefully start to create that implementation process down the line. And so it's, it's, it's pretty open. It's pretty vague right now, but like the general consensus is, or like what it states uh, is creating that task force to study for one year and come up with solutions to how to best utilize federal public lands for veterans and outdoor recreation for their health and well-being. So. And I, I think it's, it's a, uh pretty commonly understood that we've seen a, a lot of positive benefits to to either the the continuity of veterans returning to the outdoors after coming out of service or or even being introduced into the outdoors and using that sort of a, a way to both you know reestablish the community that they may or may not have lost or, or share commonality with you know other veterans that, that deal with issues just beyond uh, hunting and angling, just, uh, you know, suicide, depression, all the other things that accompany that, or that I would say accompany that, that we've seen. Uh, so definitely something in, in the, a positive direction, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I mean, for, for myself, like when I came back from overseas, I quickly moved out to Colorado and, um, just spent time like up towards Breckenridge snowboarding, and then the next summer I was over the pass in Buena Vista and I was raft guiding and I just spent my time out in like the wild federal public lands and riverways and just like ran the mountains like a feral human being. And I had this incredible like decompression experience where I was able to throttle my adrenaline, have that tunnel focus that like I had like while I was like um, driving through Baghdad and like having all these like high stress situations that you kind of come back and with you're trying to figure out how to deal with and like utilizing my time frame outdoors to kind of like transition my my processes and like how I interacted. Uh, like the outdoors was that for me. And so for me to be able to be in this position and try and help showcase other veterans, that route and that pathway is it's a huge passion project. It's something that I'm really excited to be a part of. Yeah. I uh I definitely see it doing a lot of good and, and I'm excited to see uh, more of the federal government, hopefully jumping in behind it, you know, like you mentioned, department of interior veterans affairs, I mean, having their support in such an endeavor and hopefully this, this study, uh, reveals what to them, what we, a, a lot of us already know. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think it, I mean, it's, it's like a simple no brainer that going outside and like getting some vitamin D and stretching your lungs and getting some blood flow and like does the body and mind good. And like, especially sober veterans, and especially if you can like take the skill sets that you learned, um, like being a military member and utilize that in hunting and fishing and like starting to like bring food back to your table and feed your family and friends. That just adds a whole different like ending consequence to like what you're previously doing downrange to what you can do here stateside and bring that food back to the table and have this totally different experience um, that is incredibly healing. So it's a pretty cool thing. So while, while we're on the, the sort of topic of, of service and and transition, um, with the, the Backcountry Hunter Anglers Armed Forces Initiative, um, is that something somebody can specifically join like as they, as they would a chapter, a regular chapter. So if say I was a veteran and I'm, you know, I have yet to join BHA, but I'm like, I want to sign up, but I want to be part of the armed forces initiative. Uh, how does that play out? 
So when you join Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, there's a variety of memberships. Um, and so you don't necessarily, it's not like we're separated. So when you join mm-hmm. a membership, there's different membership levels and you can join on the military membership, which is as low as our student membership which is the lowest one we offer. It's $15. It's, it's incredibly easy to get in. It puts you on the military list. And so if you join that military membership, you'll get all of our the communications for myself. Um, and you'll start to get plugged in with that. And within like the newsletters and things like that, you'll start to learn about what we're up to in the armed forces program, like, um, and understanding. We also have our Instagram account up and running for it's, uh, at BHA underscore armed forces. And I keep that pretty up to date. I've been posting a lot on there, kind of keeping things updated, talking about, uh, new events going on, things of that nature. But to go back, there is no specific armed forces, membership like you become a member of bha and you're a part of the whole family that being said you can work with your state chapter or your regional chapter um and get ingrained with them understanding the processes how bha works how we go about doing things what our causes are and then from there you can utilize your veteran voice and position to further engage and like work within the armed forces program and so we've got the active duty side that's up and running and then the veteran side, we're slowly building up. And that's like the, the work projects that we're doing, the dual skill acquisition camps, um, and then just like further engagement that we're building down the line. Um, and so, so yeah, it's not like you're joining just the armed forces part, mm-hmm. like you're joining BHA as a whole, and we're working on the same missions um, just from some different angles. Yep. I'd, uh I think that helps maybe if uh, there's people out there that have questions specifically about that, but um, yeah, definitely. Well, I think it also helps too for people going to an area that's not what part of the, one of the four pilot programs right now. So if they're not going to Pendleton or Lejeune or something like that, and they're going somewhere like the Coast Guard isn't always co-located with some of the other big bases. Uh, and then they have the regular you know, the normal BHA community that's out there that can help them out too. I think it's perfect, perfect structure that you guys have. Thanks. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. And like really looking at 21 of like, what are the next phases of installations that we want to get um, up and running? And it's, it's definitely a mixture of a lot of networking and making sure we have the proper people in place. Um, excuse me. To, to be able to like work with different installation commanders and WR offices um, it is a ton of work to get an installation up off the ground, all the paperwork we have to do. And we're pushing to become an officially sanctioned entity on that location, on that installation. And so we've got access to funding for different projects that we want to do and different resources within. And so we're not just trying to be a fly-by-night sort of entity. And like the cool thing is, is there are a lot of entities on base already for hunting and fishing. Mm-hmm. But from what we have seen, there is no network of inst- or like no network of clubs across North America. And so that's what we're trying to do. Like we can go in and we can bolster efforts and we can help out and volunteer with different orgs that are doing different things and like help support them while we build out this network. And so it's just an easy plug and play. So when you PCS from one spot to the next, and maybe that spot that you're PCSing to doesn't have a location up and running. And so at then that point in time, if you're motivated enough you can become the leader there and you can start to build one up at that spot. Like that's kind of what we're hoping for is this network to grow and cover as many, you know, um, specific installations as we can for the most effect. Yeah. I think it, I think that's, I could see it, uh, growing very quickly 
uh, with that every couple of years with a PCS or, you know, also to the, the thought came across um, a lot of installations, like you said, already having those programs, but even like access to uh, sort of uniquely accessible lands or water on it. For instance, like uh, here in Florida, we have Avon Park, uh, which they have a recreation area designated. So when they're not out there doing uh, like bombing trainings, you can go out and actually hunt the space. You know, I know Pendleton does hunts as well. There's bases all over the space that are sort of utilizing their uh, their extra open space to allow recreation. So, yeah, and it's pretty cool to see like what the Sykes Act has done to basically allow you to like utilize um, you know the coordination of like to read it verbatim on here is to promote effectual planning, development, maintenance, and coordination of wildlife, fish, and game conservation and rehabilitation in military reservations. And so it's it's not like quote unquote, like public lands for the most part that mm-hmm. anybody can just go in and out of like it is federal, um, fairly owned and whatnot, but that Sykes acts allow you to go and, and utilize those, like, you know, making sure that there are M1 Abrams, like throwing, uh, like rounds down ranges. You're like trying to like creep up on a deer. <laughs> <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Or just like having like, artillery start to splash like into your location. <laughs> I, was at Lejeune, I was at Lejeune for two months and uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure there were like turkeys walking around on the mortar range where the mortar shells were exploding around them. So I, know, I guess it depends on the animal. <laughs> yeah. Turkeys are a whole—they're a whole different thing. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of do what they want, but yeah. um, well, awesome. Um, I think I think we covered a lot on on both. Uh, we talked about the Accelerating Veterans Recovery Outdoors Act. Uh, we hit on Armed Forces Initiative. Do you have anything else specifically you want to want to bring up? Um. You know, with, with all of that right now, we're, we're staying pretty busy. Um, you know, we're steadily growing. Like, like I said, this thing just started off mm-hmm. really officially June 1st. There was another individual, Captain Eric McCullers, um, who was running the Skills Bridge program as he transferred out of the, or as he uh, ETS out of the Army. Um, and he joined on and kind of like helped build a foundation for me. I uh, did a ton of great work there. And then from that point, June 1st, when I got hired on, like we've just been like hitting the ground running. Um, and from that, you know, we're, we're trying a lot of new things. We're learning and we're just kind of learning as we're going, like building out a lot of proof of concepts, a lot of pilot programs. And everything's been incredibly successful so far, like largely due to the volunteers that have stepped up and helped um, the efforts of. And I like want to thank them as well as some of the brands. Duke Cannon came on and helped us out presenting sponsor for our, uh, for our deer camp. Uh, Onyx has been a big help. Black Rifle Coffee Company came out, um, a showcase, wrote a couple of articles about what we're up to. And it's awesome to see that engagement within the veteran crowd, um, kind of like bridging that gap between, you know, BHA has done an incredible job bridging the gap between the hunt and fish crowd and the outdoor recreation crowd. Um, and it's cool to see this kind of bridging the gap between like the 2A, like short barrel rifle gunslinging crowd and like the hunting and fish crowd. And just kind of like there's there's very similar interests there. There's a lot of people who are both like all of those three worlds. And it's just cool to bridge those gaps and bring everybody together in the name of conservation and like in the name of public lands and waters. Um, so it's it's been incredible to see all this going on. That's awesome. Um 
I would say so. We kind of our our last little bit here as we time starts ticking down as we do just a little a little round uh, for misfires or alibis. So, uh, Colin, I'll go ahead and start off with you. Yeah, actually, when I was thinking of uh, what you were saying about expanding, expanding the network and everything, um, is the international scale on your guys' radar at all as far as, like, expanding out to bases in Germany, bases in the U.K.? Uh, I don't know how Honey is in Japan or anything, but I'm sure they got something. Do you guys, uh, are you guys looking towards that, too, or is that a little bit too far down the road? So right now, we're looking specifically at North America. So this includes Canada as well. We've got our provinces there. Um, and we're, you know, learning, you know, like, I honestly, before this, hadn't looked at all about the Canadian Army and, like, the bases there and how installations run. And so that's a bit of a slow process, and we certainly want to get them engaged. But right now, we're focusing on the home front of North America. Um, we have had a couple requests come in. We actually had an Italian officer um, come to the Fort Bragg event to take part of that, which was pretty cool um, oh, nice. training over there. Uh, but as far as looking to, for Germany or different locations, um, not at this point in time, like we want to get like the, the core foundation here in the States taken care of, get that yeah. pumping before we expand our efforts over there. But it's, it's something we're certainly open to and it'd be interesting to like dig in and see like what potentials are there. Oh yeah, for sure. And you never know. I mean, maybe it'll just go there naturally as people PCS and everything. I know we don't really transfer to Germany that much being in the Coast Guard, but uh, Army, Air Force, pretty much everybody else does. Mm -hmm. So it might just go there naturally too. Give me the opportunity to go over to Oktoberfest. Got to make sure you have some, uh, some taco rice ready. Yeah. You make it over yeah, that yeah. way. <laughs> off my glass boot. <laughs> so uh cory you got uh any alibis last i thought? just want to I'll, I'll first thank morgan for coming on but um for someone for people like me that aren't veterans or that that aren't in serving in active duty um what can we do to help with uh bha's uh armed forces initiative it's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think it's like it all stems back to going and getting engaged in BHA in general, like going into the state chapters. Um, and, you know, right now it's kind of a weird time. We're not doing the pipe nights. Like so a lot of the work projects are kind of uh, on standstill a little bit with COVID and the craziness, but it's, it's really getting engaged with the state chapters and your local chapters and those initiatives. And like within that, um, like finding those armed forces folks that are there and like kind of encouraging them to, to come up and, and, you know, utilize their voice. Um, but other than that, you know, it's, it's really just spreading the word. Um, and just like, as we build this up and provide the platform for either active duty or veteran military members to get engaged, uh, it's just helping them like basically promote that platform. So great. Will last thoughts. Morgan, thanks for coming on. I, I think this is a great program. I mean, building an actual structure for service members to share, you know, hunting spots or things I think is really great, especially um, I'm coming from California, which is a really, really difficult state to hunt and navigate all of their rules and regulations. And uh, I was there for five years. And as I left, I found out there's still elk herds on federally owned military installations that you can only hunt as a military member and they're over the counter tags and all the stuff I never knew about. 
And I think it would be great if that structure is already in place to help these service members and veterans get out there and experience some of the unique opportunities that uh, that are available. Yeah, that's exactly what we're trying to do with that. So, where are those herds at? Little Travis, <laughs> uh, <laughs> look at uh, Hunter Liggett. Oh, all right, cool. Yep. Check it out. <laughs> um, I lost my train of thought. Uh, Morgan, so last yeah. last thought, and uh, and also, what's uh the best way? We you mentioned mentioned Instagram, uh, but what's other ways? Good ways people can get in contact with you if they have questions. Yeah, absolutely. So the Instagram is at bha underscore armed forces, um, and then from there you can see tags that we've got our other installations: uh, Fort Bragg, Camp Lejeune, Camp Pendleton, and Fort Wainwright. We've got those installations. Um, Instagram accounts up and running as well. Um, but then to get a hold of me uh, directly, it's mason at backcountryhunters.org. Um, and that is, yes, yeah, my personal email. And I'm putting it out there to the masses because I want that engagement. And I'd rather wake up at five in the morning with a huge cup of coffee to grind through emails and get people engaged than, than not hear from you. So please do reach out. Awesome. Uh, you got any last thoughts for us? Um, make that MRE, uh, <laughs> real. all right, we'll work on Figure it. Out how you can put ranger pudding in there. Maybe a ranger pudding reduction. <laughs> as long as you eat the mashed potatoes cold and you can't warm those things up. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I appreciate you being on, uh, taking the time to talk with us, talk to some great recipes and, uh, some great programs that, uh, you're heading up and I'm, I'm really excited. Like I said, to see, the future unfold and, and to be involved in, in part of this as well. So uh, thanks again for coming on and for everybody out there listening, go, uh, go hit up the armed forces initiative on social media make sure you're giving them a follow. And uh, after you're done following them, head back over to harvesting nature pages. And if you're not following us, you should be. And then uh, don't forget about that hat program. We've got uh, podcast reviews for hats. Sounds like an official title, but um, let us know what we're doing wrong or let us know what we're doing right, uh, whatever suits you. Uh, thanks, everybody, and have a good night.